All right, well, one part of the plan that I find fascinating, uh, which, which is about the, how power uh, is generated and distributed. Um, you talk about there's public, there's some federal public administration of power in this country based on the Tennessee right. Valley Authority and others. Right. Right. And right. basically you, you propose essentially a federal takeover of the whole thing. That essentially a Tennessee Valley Authority extension for the whole country. Right? Am I, getting, am I understanding that yeah, correctly? Yeah, that's, you're in the ballpark. That's right. Look, the TVA has done a lot of good work. Uh, it produces electricity from hydropower uh, and other sources. What we need to do is have an aggressive federal government saying that we are going to produce a massive amount of electricity from solar and from wind and from other sustainable energies, and we will sell it out. And by the way, we're going to make money doing that. But you can't nibble around the edges anymore. We need to transform right. our energy system. That means a massive increase in sustainable energy. Green TVA. Uh, clap, 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 clap. Green TVA. Clap, 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 clap. There you have it. So Matt was out here talking about the Green TVA. You know how hard it is to be out for the Green TVA on day one? Is it really hard? Do you know how many radio stations <laughs> I lost by being out for Green TVA on day one? Uh, for those who are not uh, initiated in the Brunig lore, this is a statement made by, I believe, Alex Jones. Mm -hmm. uh, this was before he got big. This was, and also before he got completely canceled. Uh, he, Matt, Matt was always an Alex Jones fan way back. Oh, yeah. When I was on the Nader campaign, I ran into a whole group of Alex Jones people who were not on the campaign, but were in the sort of orbit of weirdo uh, political sort of things. And we would run into them from time to time in a hostile way. But And uh, Alex Jones has this quote where he goes, do you know how hard it was to be out here on day one saying 9-11 was an inside job? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he just loses it. That's an just, amazing. Yeah, we should start the show off with that. <laughs> no, yeah, and then he then he ends the rant. Um, I believe this. No, nah, maybe it was a different rant. I don't know if this was the one that up with mercury and that fed into the yeah, yeah yeah. It's like kids with mercury, and you don't you know cops get drunk and kill someone, and it's the bartender's fault, and You're like not you just my God, you know, yeah yeah, mm -hmm. you God, how dare you overserve a God? <laughs> and then like he gets so worked up at the end that he in it sort of uh, uh, sort of bizarrely throws the show to what appears to be like a 12 year old boy who's, who's on the in. who's on the phone yeah. the whole time and like you don't in the clips that you see you don't ever get any discussion of this boy like i guess if you watch the whole 60 minute show yeah you would have seen it but instead you just see him rant and then all of a sudden this kid just pops out <laughs> and he's like all right Lead us and out. It, and the kid's like, you could go to Infowars.com if you want to buy some merchandise, some <laughs> some T-shirts. Um. <laughs> it's amazing. It's absolutely, it's it's right out there with one of my favorite Alex Jones uh, performances. The other one is when he insisted that Hillary Clinton actually is not strong enough to open a pickle jar as she had on a late night show. Mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, and uh, he, he goes into the physics of opening a pickle jar. You got to pop it. You got to pop it. There's a pop. Yeah, no, I thought that was actually compelling. And then he, he suggests that he himself cannot even open the pickle yeah, jar. Yeah, yeah. That's how difficult it is. Right, which seems to sort of... You, you don't need to go that far. Well, but then what's what uh, what's the upshot of this? I mean, yeah, it's just like, You're well, they're... so unfit to be president. Yeah, they're just being deceptive, jar. I guess, yeah. is the upshot. Um, like it's but, just, but we digress. Mm-hmm. We digress. Uh, Matt was out here on day one of the People's Policy Project, which is a separate entity from this podcast. Mm -hmm. It's its own uh, corporate it entity, a uh, separate board, well, separate no uh, bank accounts, board. Um, it's a board of directors. Well, it's just you. Mm -hmm. I'm the chairman okay. and the CEO. All right. Well, and uh, and his proposal for uh, battling climate change was a green TVA, which you can explain. Yeah, so well, it's very simple. You know, we have uh, the Tennessee Valley Authority, um, which makes a lot of electricity down in the Tennessee Valley. Why don't you give us a, a brief explanation on what that is, the history there? It's a big power company. It was started in the, the you know, 30s and 40s, I believe, uh, during the first New Deal. Um, and, you know, initially it did other stuff that, like, helped farmers, like, with fertilizers and stuff. Like, it would teach them, like, oh, here's how you grow food you know and oh, cool. yeah like yeah it's important you know you're doing it all wrong or whatever 
And that stuff's actually kind of interesting. Like the old photos and shit of like yeah. them going out to farmers. Like they put signs in them that are like, you know, use this phosphorus fertilizer, man. It really grows, grows yeah. good shit. Um, but then they just became like a big electricity company and they just make a bunch of electricity. Um, they made $11 billion dollars. Uh, produced and sold $11 billion of electricity last fiscal year and uh, sold it out for that amount. I don't remember the exact, uh, you know, wattage. Um, and it's a profitable enterprise, but it's completely owned by the federal government, 100% federally owned. There's no outside equity. The board is appointed by the president. It is a, it is a state-owned enterprise in the, uh, the most beautiful sense of the word. Um alongside the postal service and the amtrak i would say the uh that is the uh the holy trinity of the american state-owned enterprises and um, so your argument was well we can just take the tva and ex- take that structure and expand it across the country if we need to uh, produce a whole bunch of clean energy energy that's not from coal and whatever and gas you know we need to produce all this electricity and replace these other sources someone's got to do it and why not just have the federal government do it it owns the tennessee valley authority which is this big power company and it also owns some of these other power marketing administrations mostly on the west coast with dams and whatnot um and so it's got that capacity and in my mind i was trying to kind of more just fill a sort of like space in the discourse you know if you you could kind of conceptualize the discourse as this like map you know of like undiscovered areas and like oh someone's already done that thing and someone's done this one and like oh here's you know a a place that's sort of empty that that should be fillable and and that was sort of my approach on this was okay, we've got all this socialist, you know, ah, socialists, we're for Green New Deal, we're all eco-socialists now, whatever, right? I mean, not to get too uh, bogged down, but as you might notice, socialism becomes about whatever this sort of du jour non-socialist issue is the big one, um, which is, you know, very promising, of course, for uh, for socialist politics. But um the idea was, okay, all these people want to be like, I want to do climate in a socialist way. I want to fix the climate in a socialist way. And there were all these like goofy articles that tried to argue that this or that was the socialist way. Yeah. And like, it was never any, like, they were all like basically trying to say carbon tax is not socialist. But then it was like, what if we just regulated the utilities? Then that would be real socialism. Like, I don't know, regulating private companies? Is that socialism? Um, so this was like, all right, if you want to do socialism, if you want to be serious about it in a kind of conventional sense, federally owned power company, just make it huge. It knows how to build dams. They have tons of dams. They have nuclear facilities. They have solar. They have wind. They've got it all in, in just the TVA. They know how to build this stuff. So just, just go through that route instead of trying to get private companies to do this or that with mandates and so on and so forth. That was sort of just like, conceptually, this is where the socialist Green New Deal logic should lead you. Yeah. If you're serious about it. And I threw that out there. Short paper, it was like 10 pages or something. Um, And then lo and behold, as we heard in the first clip of the show, uh... Barney Sanders, Bernard Sandries, Benny okay. Sranders, uh, Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sandres. Uh, Bernie Sanders made it the centerpiece of his. It is plan. his approach to decarbonizing the supply of electricity in America in his Green New Deal proposal that he put out this week. Or last week. So how hard was it to be out here on day one saying Green TVA is the socialist it was way to very fight hard. climate change? It was very hard. Um, but you know, just like Alex Jones was vindicated, and well, we all I mean, now know that. that Bush did the towers, well, boom. This is very similar. Very similar. I would say on the same same kind of track, really. Um, so I mean, great success. A great success for the People's Policy Project, which is really 
a success for the people because it is their policy project. That's right. So it's not really my success. It is a success for the people. Well, uh, congratulations. Thank you. On your plan uh, having been picked up. Thank you. Uh, and and speaking of Bernie, uh, in the B block of the show a little later, we're going to bust five myths about Bernie. Oh, yeah? Uh, so so stay tuned for that. But first, we're going to go through a few hot topics. Do you think that the Green TVA success will get me into the Politico Top 50 influencers? It should. You Shouldn't should be it? on the Forbes, uh, you know. Nah, because I hit 30 already. I just hit 30, so... Oh. I'm fucked. I was almost on the Forbes 30 under 30 list last year, but then they decided they didn't want me. No, no. That's pretty demoralizing. But I should be in the I should be in the Politico top 50. I agree. You know? I would nominate you if I were on Politico's staff. You know? I'm not sure how the process works. Um, well, I know how the process works. It's sort of like uh, <laughs> friends and people you know. <laughs> but anyways. I, I find you very influential. I find it. I find those things very, uh, yeah, very funny. Um, but uh, I was remember I was a Politico insider on the first debate. They had this. I remember that. Are yeah. you still doing that for the sequential? I debate? don't know. They just fucking cut me off. So maybe they, they just decided my. You know, cut I don't know. They're off. probably they probably. Well, they didn't hit me up for the next debate so oh. the first debate they were like can you write like 200 words on who won the debate and then like the the structure of the yeah. articles they've asked like 10 like high-powered people like i think i came right after michael Steele, the former gop chairman yeah and they're like yeah michael Steele, you need to get his take you really want to understand from the the elite minds of dc they're in the rooms they're so on you need michael Steele, and you need matt brunick you i need agree both of those takes in it um so i was a political insider for the first um debate but not for the second debate then so i don't know what happened go outsider i was demoted but then maybe after this i'm back up maybe i'm back up then maybe this puts me back in the majors you know you should be uh meanwhile joe walsh says he's going to primary trump joan walsh jo- joe oh not joan walsh <laughs> not the the nation writer and Salon uh, uh, editor. I didn't even know she was a Republican. Oh, Joe. I Joe, guess it makes sense. Uh, has a history of being a complete fucking maniac on Twitter. Uh, and you, in Congress, weirdly. <laughs> he's also like a divorce guy. He's a big time divorce guy. Yeah. The Twitter persona is huge divorce guy energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my ex-wife is a whore is something he's always right about to tweet. <laughs> um He's just had completely bonkers tweets. He's tweeted the N-word over the years. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's he's had some really insane interactions on there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just like the ultimate patriot dad. Mm-hmm. Hope, hope I get my kids for the 4th of July this year mm-hmm. uh, so we can go shoot shotguns across the lake. Uh, you know, shit like that. Related to the America's Most Wanted guy? Not to my knowledge. Okay. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I, I, I haven't really seen a lot of donut Twitter activity around this, uh, but I've seen a little and Oh, I, I've seen it. <laughs> it's, it's like, you, you know, we need to donate to him cause he can primary <laughs> Trump. It's such an obvious grift. It's a huge grift. It's an obvious grift. And also I've seen frequent misunderstandings of what the fuck a primary is among donut Twitter where they're like. We need to support Joe Walsh's primary campaign because it'll split the Republican base. I'm like, mm-hmm. no dipshit. That would be if you ran as an independent. The primary well, well, is, yeah. is about selecting oh, someone see. to run in the general. Yeah, yeah, on. yeah. No, he's not going the Evan McMuffin route. No, no. They've confused him with the Egg McMuffin route where, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to run as an independent challenger, which he's not said he's going to do. He's going to run in the primary. No, he's going to run in the primary, load up on some yeah. cash. That'll give him some money that he can roll over into another campaign fund uh, if he wants to run for Congress or whatever again. Um and he'll build up a list and maybe he could sell a book or become a talking head or something like that's that's the whole game of of these kinds of campaigns of course of course and so watching the resistance moms be like well i'm gonna take my pink pussy hat yarn fund and convert it into a joe walsh campaign contribution is just really disturbing can I split my act blue? I wouldn't I wouldn't do that, guys. <laughs> and and I've even seen some uh, you know, t- I guess for tangentially involved in left Twitter people be like, "Yeah, yeah." You know, cuz he can do what Trump does better than Trump. He's even more of a racist maniac. <laughs> um 
And I don't know, I, I, I assume that most people who are going to be voting in the GOP primary are pretty dedicated to Trump. Yeah, you're not going to... You're not going to oust an incumbent in a primary for the presidency. That's absurd. I mean, even just losing the primary is going to just implode your chances in the general for your party. Your party's going to be so messed up at that yeah. point. It's just, you know, so it's, you know, it's fine. I guess, I think, you know, people should run against Trump, I guess, in the primary, but obviously you shouldn't give money to the, like, to to such a fellow, yeah, I, um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on that. And horse. he's also like, let's be clear, he's not Egg McMuffin because Egg McMuffin was, I guess, like a genuine moderate in this. You know, like at least there's no history of him being like a completely deranged, like way out there. But like Joe Walsh, that's his whole thing. Yeah, he was the guy who yelled, you know, you lie at the president, like just a sort of Tea Party, just yeah. nutcase. Um, he also voted for Trump, and you know, like was very like adamant about how he supported. Trump. So like. He's not even uh he's not even an he's not even an egg McMuffin guy. No. He's so he's like he's he is Trump trying to primary Trump as if he's egg McMuffin just so that he can grift like resistor idiots and some never Trump idiots. You hate to see it. Yeah, I, I'm okay with it, I guess. Uh also, I mean it it's August, you know, so uh there's no news right now. That's that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the news industry, we talk about this time of year as the kind of slump, the silly season, run a bunch of bullshit stories because just not much is happening. Uh, so you know we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Well, no, I've got more. I got bit. more content, man. I got. Big, I mean, there's always content. content, but I mean, compared to sort of the big stories that happen during the fall and winter and, and under in the spring, cover billionaire. Yeah, how's your Undercover show going? Undercover Billionaire. I'm covering this show. So, you know, the fans, you know, you should be keeping up with Undercover Billionaire um, so that, you know, we can chit chat. This is now an Undercover Billionaire recap show, um, you know. So we're pivoting, pivoting hard, pivoting hard away from politics. Um, and Undercover Billionaire, you know, to rehash for people who aren't familiar, this is guy, he, uh, he, he, he like, is a, owned this big mortgage company, and he has a billion dollars or, or whatnot, and, and, and he's supposed to go into uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, and he's going to go undercover, and he's only going to have, like, $100 and, like, a truck and a phone or whatever, and he's supposed to create a million-dollar business in 90 days or whatever, and, you know, that's, that's the gimmick of it. And we've been following, okay, how's he going to, you know, do this? And, you know, so far, you know, prior to the most recent episode, the first thing he did was he just found a bunch of tractor tires. That's how he, like, gets going. Yeah, you can uh, get 1800 bucks for tractor tires. Yeah, he, he got 1800s in seed capital by just finding tires. Um, so, you know, it's a good way to do it, I guess. Uh, go look for those tires. If you want to replicate his success, just keep looking for tires. Um, and then he used that to buy a car from a car dealer that was closing. And then he flipped that, made some money. And then, uh, in this most recent episode, he took the money he made from that car. Oh, he also sold like a St. Patrick's Day swag and made like a few hundred dollars doing that. But that ended up being kind of irrelevant. Um, so, you know, he finds tires, gets some money, takes the money, buys a used car, flips it to make more money, gets that money, buys another used car. This time, I think it was an Escalade, flips that to make even more money. Now he has enough money to uh, do a down payment on like a $40,000 home uh, in Erie. And he goes and buys this home, and he also gets a $10,000 construction loan on the home so that he can, like, spruce it up. That's going to go into the home equity and, I guess, kind of get rolled over into the mortgage or whatever. And so that's where he is. So find tires, flip two cars, and now we're in the middle of flipping a house. At the same time, he's pursuing a business plan, um, you know, because he's got to construct this business. He's not just going to like flip shit over and over again until he gets a million dollars. He has to actually construct a business that has a million dollar valuation. And so, you know, initially in the last episode, we learned he was going to make a brewery, but then we learned at the end of the episode that's not possible in the time frame. So what is his pivot? His pivot now is he's going to make a barbecue restaurant and he's still going to sell craft beer, his own brand of craft beer. But instead of brewing it, he's just kind of kind of contract that out. You know, it'll be sort of like a they create a recipe and they get some other brewers to brew it. They slap their label on it, etc. That's like the new plan. And, you know, so we're trying to see that develop. 
and we leave with the house having mold in it that's really gonna like fuck him and whatever um and it's a little suspicious because that's how we left the last episode which was oh you can't do the brewery anymore oh my god what am i gonna do and now oh my house flip is not gonna work so because of this mold and uh, you know he's a business genius of course so he's gonna work his way out of that um and presumably end up flipping the house it's of course kind of absurd you know on some level like the time frame stuff is uh yeah you, you can't buy a house and fix it up and flip it in this period of time even just closing and all that kind of stuff takes takes he's a, getting outside help I, this is a scam it, it seems scammy I, I, I there are things that happen that you're like you can't yeah. happen that quickly and and also i mean fundamentally how does he get a loan for the house yeah like he gets a mortgage for the house like oh i saved up enough for a down payment which is a forty thousand dollar home so that's not like that much you don't have to put 20 percent down i think he put like 10 percent down or whatever but i mean uh, if you go to get a mortgage you got to give them id you got to give them income statements and shit like that and he's supposed to be undercover so what did he provide yeah. to the lending company yeah yeah i mean i think he's i think it's a scam i think it's a setup what what did he provide to them? You know, he's got no income in this. Like he's a, he's like a 50 year old man who just like pops into existence, like fully 55 years old, like in the context of this show. And he's not like, did he submit to him them his like billion dollar wealth? And they're like, sir, sir, I don't know why you don't just buy this in cash. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. <laughs> but he had to do something. So like, obviously on some level, they're simulating the, some of these like financial aspects of it they have to be simulating it there has to be like oh well he he could have qualified for a mortgage in this scenario so we're gonna like act as if he got a mortgage yeah you know what i mean um that has to be going on either that or he broke his cover to get the loan or he committed a fucking mortgage fraud it can't work and then the other one we saw that sort of broke the system was the when he went to the hospital, the hospital, the health insurance, and they're like two hundred fifty dollar copay. What the fuck? Yeah. He does, he's not supposed to have insurance. But listen, what, listen to what I got for you here. Okay, it's probably a big scam and a setup, and it's rigged in his favor. But that's how it is in real life for rich people. I mean, that's true. What I mean, but that's not the that? lesson. What do you think about that? That's not the you know, they're, they're trying to teach the opposite lesson here. Um, but you know we can still read this in our uh, in our postmodern way. That's true. Yeah, with the death of the author, uh, as uh, you know, being a commentary on how actually in real life all all of these uh, institutions are rigged in favor of the rich. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we we have a uh, an alternative read on undercover boss. Yeah, I mean it's weird to me though. I mean I don't know. I, like, why is this guy even doing this? I mean, I guess he's. I guess if you're like just sort of like I don't know, narcissistic or whatever, and you want to be on TV, he's rich and he doesn't feel anything anymore because all of his needs are met. Yeah, he, well, I could see bored. someone genuine. Yeah, like being like, I'm. Well, first off, also he has like kids who are like six yeah. or like that's sort of weird. But if you're bored and you're like, I want to show it, but then you fake it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that doesn't. Or unless he, you know, you could convince yourself like, look, I'm actually doing this stuff. Yes, on the background, we're doing some things where it's like, I'm getting a loan. That's not really a loan, but that's necessary for the cover to work. Yeah. And like, yes, I, you know, sold some shirts without a license. Yes, I'm flipping cars without uh reporting the income and you know yeah but you know like it's good enough and i guess you would have to it would have to be something like that you know it's hard to say or it's just like i want to be on tv and this will help me you know like you know be more known in society not just sort of like i'm one of those billionaires no one's heard of which is what he was before meanwhile uh there was another uh, contretemps on Twitter. Uh, I think the last big Twitter conflagration was over the feral hogs. Mm-hmm, yeah. The 30 to 50 feral hogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
This week, it was over swarthy children. Oh, wow. This was an incredible event. <laughs> this was an incredible event. This is an event that I that just seems to have kind of stopped happening. In yeah, the, I like, feel like used to in Twitter, you would have lots of these little events where like the whole town would turn out. Well, there's the, there's the town aspect and then just the subject matter is like yeah. very much like, you know, 2014. Yeah, it's, it's um, like it's like a 2012 Twitter event. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lady who has a child tweeted that little white girls are uh taught and i'm trying to render this in the most charitable way possible well she's starting with you know y'all think white men are bad but But it's not just white men it's also white women and it's not only just white women it's white little girls yeah well the girl that that's where the insight comes yeah she's like look i'm seeing this is this is where white women come from Right. So I'm right at the source. They begin as white women. So she's saying that little white girls are taught, I, I don't think she meant intentionally, but they absorb through osmosis and society mm-hmm. a form of privilege that makes them believe they have dominion over the bodies of of other children. Mm-hmm. And she said, quote, my swarthy gender fluid child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then spoke of a redheaded little girl mm-hmm. uh, with ribbons and dresses <laughs> okay, yeah. who uh, aggressively hugs and tickles this woman's swarthy gender fluid child. Mm-hmm. And, and because the little white girl with red hair believes she has dominion over the body mm-hmm, that's why. of uh, the swarthy gender fluid child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously people start to kind of interrogate the story. The, reason i think that people started asking questions is uh, in the woman's twitter avatar she is indeed a red-headed white woman mm-hmm. uh so people were like well is your kid biracial yeah, you'd have to be you're either with a white man or you're yeah it, but if you, you can't be with a white man because then your kid's also white so you must be and, with and a so, non-white man in which case the kid must be biracial and so then she says no my kid's not biracial oh well, well what are we doing now uh, and so people are like, well, why did you call your child swarthy if mm-hmm. it's just a white kid? Mm-hmm. And she says, well, because she doesn't present femininity in a traditional way, mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with the concept of swarthiness. Mm, no, well, but she's defined swarthy to mean uh, uh, she, different, she, different uh, representations of femininity. Uh, she then says, uh, if you guys... Uh, think that you know swarthiness has nothing to do with gender presentation you don't understand what it's like to be a five-year-old with underarm hair Mm -hmm. (laughs) i I Mm -hmm. was like man that uh i don't think you grow underarm yeah i mean that's like that's like um sort of medical mystery or circus (laughs) circus kind of shit precocious puberty (laughs) i mean for for boys or girls it it happens you you do see it it is it is a medical condition and i'm sure it does result in you know some bullying and some difficulties for those kids who, who who struggle with that at such a young age but uh again nothing to do with being swarthy and it's not true of her kid. And, uh, I and mean, it's let's also, just be, uh, I mean, I, I would file that under didn't happen. Uh, and and so she then says, well, if you think you don't have underarm hair until puberty, you've never had a swarthy child. There you go. Definitionally, she's got you going in this tautological uh, loop. And I was like, I, I mean. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. I admit that I, you know, I do have a three-year-old who doesn't have any uh, pubic hair mm-hmm. uh, and i assume that's normal mm-hmm. uh you know uh not in the swarthy community uh, and uh, so i i was forced to reply to her tweet we are both white and we both have white children uh she said her child is serbian part serbian and she said syrian and another then point. later clarified a syrian serb yeah so, so the kid gets around the kid you know i don't know multinational uh, what's but I feel like we used to have these events on Twitter very frequently. The Gator tweet was such an event. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the problem is I feel like that brand of of Tumblrish analysis has it's just, you know, these things are kind of faddish. They come and go. Yeah, sure. And I mean, you know, the nature of that type of of political engagement is to always be bleeding edge yeah 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 and so it's like you know 
stuff that's like why women also hold up the patriarchy you're already 10 years late on that analysis right you know in the sort of internet world and of course obviously decades late but you know (laughs) tumblr rediscovers these kinds of things and then to go from there to saying oh i have a sort of unique insight instead of just repeating this i can actually make a claim that's like i found the source of of this sort of thing you know um, but like then the problem becomes oh well i have a you know my daughter's also white Ugh. so then she like tries to distinguish them and then and then i actually think what happened was she was trying to imply that the kid was um was a person of color or poc adjacent and then was like oh shit you can't say that when in fact they're not and then the rest of this was just sort of incoherent uh, sort of uh, <laughs> uh, incoherent damage control from that point um but it was very fascinating uh tickled the brain in a way <laughs> that i just i haven't been tickled in a long time and maybe that's because yahoo they drove tumblr into the ground they ran you know? into the ground. I mean, taking all the por- the porn off Tumblr was a terrible right, mistake. and it's like the porn is the core of the ecosystem. You know what I mean? Like this stuff also springs off the porn somehow. Everything on um, Tumblr revolves around yeah, the porn. Like the social justice stuff is a spinoff of porn. The furry shit's a spinoff of porn. All the fandom stuff is fueled by porn. There's only porn on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Basically, when they said we're not taking any more, you, know, you can't have any more porn on Tumblr. This was a declaration of a death sentence. Yes. Well, and they lost. Uh, it appears nine hundred ninety-seven uh, million dollars. Yes, uh, because there's only porn on Tumblr. That was the value of the porn and the uh, secondary effects and tertiary effects of the porn. Yeah. If you if you if you've ever seen the big pyramid. Uh, of the economy with the sort of, you know, fat cat capitalists on top and all the laborers on the bottom of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the porn at the bottom of the pyramid. <laughs> on Tumblr, for on sure. On Tumblr. And then everything stacks up on top of that. It's true. And so, you know, we've just, they, they killed this this type of analysis that you just, you just don't <laughs> see it anymore where you like, you put up a gif of like someone being like sort of sassy in a movie. Yeah. And then you're like, white girls, they love to hug their friends. Fuck them. Yeah. You know, like that's just gone. This and is gone from loss. our world. It loss. is a huge loss. And it's now it's leaking out on Twitter occasionally. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, it, you know, it was nostalgic in a, in a sense. I liked it. Yeah. It was fun. But, uh, you know, and I think that it's. Oh, worth, oh, oh, she finished. I don't know if you remember <laughs> at the very end of her. There was a coup de grace yeah. of her thread about her Syrian Serbian five year old mm-hmm. gender fluid child who has um, pubic hair um, and is hugged by white girls who believe that they have dominion over her body. And like, that's the reason they do it. Um, you know, she goes back and forth on this for a while. And then at the very end, she's like, you know, I'm a sex worker. And I'm not going to apologize. So, you know, fucking checkmate. The checkmate. Vince McMahon meme was made for this thread. <laughs> checkmate. Checkmate. All right. Just plug into that. She's like, I know you guys love that shit right now, don't you? <laughs> so, like, maybe I just throw that in well, here. That's how Trump functions as well. <laughs> That's at rallies, true. he'll it's be just, like, "I know you, you have dumb hillbillies love your guns, don't you?" In the Bible, remember? He's like, "You guys sure do love the Bible." Yeah. Or whatever. Remember that line? Yeah, like, they'll all cheer. That's her. She's like, "I'm a sex worker." And she's just kind of like smear it in your face, like her hand just has like <laughs> chocolate on it. She's like, "Here, I know y'all love that." Yeah, here you up, go, piggies. little piggies. <laughs> when she's being owned it's just it's so good it's so pure and so it's it's very retro twitter and it's worth mentioning uh now that we have in our possession at this moment a popeye's chicken sandwich (laughs) that's true we're really going we're really going to great lengths today to bring you an action-packed show um for those who don't live in uh, a major metropolitan area we have a special thing where we can get everything delivered Kicks ass, um, yeah. No, the guy uh, who just delivered it, uh, just delivered these uh, Popeye's chicken sandwiches at 10 p.m. Um, he was like, 
dude it was crazy in there it was just completely jam-packed people were saying i'll give you twenty dollars for a sandwich um it was just wild and like i think you got the last ones and like he was he was like pumped about it too which is weird because like i mean he, he was like i think maybe like 19 or something like so he wasn't just like beaten down by it he was like yeah. this is a cool night normally i just go get people fucking yeah. pizza and shit and today i got to like fight over chicken and whatever um which not to say you know he has a good job but <clears throat> anyways we procured this and we didn't have to go into the madness wait in line for an hour or anything like that i have not taken a bite of it yet because i'm saving it for the program i think you should now I'm saving for the program so you're gonna have to talk a little bit okay uh, maybe do a play-by-play of the bite so matt's picking up the sandwich looks good to me uh, a lot of chicken on the sandwich uh, much thicker than a chick-fil-a chicken sandwich or even a wendy's chicken sandwich um you know we we talk about fast food a lot on this program uh, Sonic, I've had a change of heart on over the last couple of years. I, I really enjoyed it as a high schooler. Now I tend to find it too sweet. Uh, uh, you know, and then there's the classic Jack in the Box chicken sandwich, several different chicken sandwich options at, at, at your average Jack in the Box. This looks like one of the pure minimalist chicken sandwiches. Uh, got a bun without seeds. Uh, looks like soft, sort of sweet white bread uh, and some Popeye's breaded chicken on there and some thick sliced pickles. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, so you just have the chicken, and then you have a pickle and some mayo. That's it. There's no real spice. Now, I don't know if there are other versions there of this. There is a spicy chicken sandwich, but I wanted to get us the pure one. I see. Well, I mm. would have preferred the spicy, obviously. Oh, fuck me. Um, as it is, it just it kind of reminds me of like popcorn chicken. A lot of breading. Yeah. it's. I wouldn't say it's that great. I, I assume the rage is over the spicy ones, because... That is, that's just so-so. So, that's just my, my opinion. You can put some sriracha on there. Well, yeah, yeah, I got plenty of hot sauce and stuff I can, uh, you know, I, I'm, it'll be good once I get it going, but. But in its pure state, you, you give like a five out of ten, six? It's fine. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not better in Chick-fil-A as it is. Mm-hmm. I, I assume the spiciness, that's got to be the one. Because, you know, I saw a clip, you know, someone joking about it. And he was like, man, the seasoning, you know, like, yeah, it was a thing. And like, well, that is not seasoned. So, I mean, you know, mm. obviously there's a lot of salt and whatever, but it's it's not got uh, spices on it. So. so we'll check back later with the spicy Popeye's chicken sandwich. <laughs> it was anticlimactic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's actually it's informative, though, because mm-hmm. if you're going to get in on the craze get the spicy ones you got to get the spicy ones so uh that brings us to the second segment of our program five myths about bernard sanders Mm. uh you know bernie uh you you might never met the man well i mean i'm talking to the listeners right so so they you know they know of bernie uh and and a guy's been in politics a long time obviously his campaign was a big deal in the 2016 election and uh once you get that big you're going to attract some haters you're going to attract some rumors Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a lot of misinformation floating around out there about Bernie. And uh, we're going to start with number one. Bernie has abnormally low support among women and people of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, This one I feel like is, is maybe fading a little bit. It's still around in zombie form, especially in Donut Twitter. Um, but you can no longer like get an article commissioned on it no yeah but there there have been like so there was an msnbc guest recently who said you know i don't know a single woman who supports oh yeah him. yeah yeah that sort of shit tier punditry you can still get it out and then and then sort of donut twitter but like if you wanted to pitch the nation or something they would be like is that true yeah oh it's not because it isn't obviously true uh, anymore um and in fact sanders support among for instance blacks increased a ton during the last candidacy like near the end of that election people weren't even like i don't know <laughs> there was a taper off in people even writing that point anymore yeah. because he went from like having like five percent black support to having like 30 to 40 percent of black people supporting him mm-hmm. um which as a share of his overall votes was like pretty decent mm-hmm. you know it's all a name recognition thing um, this is what I, you know, was sort of the counterpoint that people made back in the day when people were like, oh, did you know he doesn't do as well among this or that, you know, especially people of color. And it's like, well, he's an unknown. And, you know, 
the historical trend, I guess, as it is with this voting block is they tend to congregate towards towards known figures that you know they feel comfortable with and this is like a new guy but now he's in that he's in that slot in 2020 as like a known party head everyone you know he's one of the most well-known people in the country in all of politics and so on and so he benefits from that yeah. this time around but but the pew had a thing that was circulating obviously on twitter for you know, pretty aggressively for a while in which they showed that Bernie Sanders voters are the most female, the most people of color, and also the youngest, and also um, the, the you know, most working class defined as not having a college degree. Right. So, like, he hits... <laughs> All the points. He hits, like, his voter composition is the most you know, overrepresented of, you know, the good groups in the way that we talk about politics, like a completely dysfunctional way that we talk about, you know, like elections where people are trying to like jockey to be like, my candidates are supported by the good ones. You have the, you have groups of voters who are the protagonists and then you have groups of voters who are the villains. That's right. And you don't want the villain groups to support your candidate. That's right. And so, He has the 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 hero groups, yeah. and of course it's absurd because the groups are all split among different candidates. Even you know Trump had millions of black votes, and so on and so forth. Like, yeah. but you know, as it goes, and of course, you know, if we're going to talk about women and people of color, we gotta we gotta go back to the all time troll. So th- this is an interesting construction, and I'm sure it's existed for a long time, but in 2016, it really. Uh, came to the fore as a, a grouping of voters that was kind of, it seemed engineered for the 2016 Democratic oh, primary. Yes. And that, that group was women and people of color. So if you search that phrase, you can find lots of 2016 writing where they're talking oh, about yes. Hillary From the Clinton. Big, the big wigs the were big using wigs. this. Right. So Hillary Clinton and women and people of color and Bernie Sanders failing women and people of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a fascinating grouping when you think about it, mm-hmm. uh, because obviously people of color encompasses women. It's women are already. more than half of the population and more right. than half of the voting population. and then And then you also bring in male people of color right obviously since women are yeah. uh, women so, people of color contained in, in the, when, when you think about what it actually means it means white women means white people women of color and people of color or women and male people of color you could you could right. construct it either way uh, but the but the you know part of the obvious under the radar cover here is to try to get white women included as people of color right uh, very similar to the the woman who has a swarthy child right um, it's trying to sweep the whiteness out of it yes there's a that's a big thing there's a, l- a yeah. lot of shading towards trying to be like i'm kind of poc no ma'am uh, no ma'am <laughs> uh, but that that was the intention here was uh, and you know of course half of white women voted for trump so it's a it's a bullshit and some white effort. women are black irish uh, well so yeah, unfortunately, you see a little bit of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think that it's kind of fallen into disfavor now. I mean, there was enough criticism, I think, of the rhetorical Well, now of he's hand. the women and people of color well, right. like, so dominant. No, you know, people don't try to make that point uh, as often as they used to. But you came up with an interesting troll based on uh, just the, lo- the logical reality of this grouping. Yes, yes. I, I, I showed through very complicated uh, math um, <laughs> that uh, the majority of Trump voters were women and people of color. Um, and this this just really lit the yeah, whole really fired spear people on up. fire. Yeah. And it still kind of does a little bit. I mean, it, it's, you know, you, you, you repeat a hit after a while, people, they get bored of it. But it was it was a just fiery. Yeah troll uh it wasn't really a troll i mean at at the time i didn't think it would be that explosive i I actually had a point i was trying to make which was the grouping doesn't make sense no 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 i had a a much more narrow point than that which was there were all these essays that came out after the election that was like basically contemplating should we give a shit if trump voters suffer yeah you know fuck trump voters i hope they this or that and i want and and my conception in my brain was the only reason people are saying this is because they think Trump voters are white working class men. Yeah. Which obviously had a disparate, like that was a large, like that group went heavily 
for Trump. Mm-hmm. And so when you have that in your brain, in your mind, you can, you can say that if you're a lib, because libs don't like white working class men. Um, and that is sort of like, was my theory of the mind of why people can even write this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, I'll just, I'll just shake this up by pointing out that if you are saying uh, Trump voters should suffer, what you're saying is that a group of people, the majority of whom are women and people of color, should, should suffer. You're saying women and people, of, you know, so to change what you're looking yeah. at and saying you wouldn't say that women and people of color should suffer, would you? Well, that's most of Trump voters. Oh, yeah, you know, to, and instead of just whoo, <laughs> like lighting a match and, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, it exploded. Yeah. Uh, um, it's still something that comes up when people complain about you. Yeah. Yeah. One, well, I'm always like, is it not true? It is true. And they're, they're always like, well, you, you, and then like some people be like, you shouldn't do that grouping. And I'm like, not my grouping. Well, I mean, I, I that's the point that I would make. Not about my grouping, it. buddy. Like, well, the grouping is a little bit rhetorically questionable. Right. You can go one way or another. Yeah. That's the sort of, you can either be like, well, you should do that grouping, in which case large swaths of the punditry of that period are uh, wrong and problematic. Yeah. Um, or you could say you should do that grouping, in which case suck it up. The you Republicans, up. M- mostly women and people of color. That's what it is. Um I think uh, I've kind of expanded this troll a little bit recently with my whole bear with me because I don't think everyone realizes. Oh, boy. I, I've connected this in my head. So I have an, uh, a, a meta theory of, of, of how two of my trolls connect. OK. Um, and this is really important for listeners. They, that's why they pay the big bucks for this episode. Um, I don't know if it is. <laughs> I've been doing this thing recently where I say, uh, you know, where people are like Bernie supporters suck. They suck, and you know why they suck is because they won't come out and vote for another Democrat, or they might even go vote for Trump, or they might vote for the Green Party. That's why they suck. Yes. Right? Um, and so I go, well, if that's what, if that's, that's what the Bernie's voters do, then we got to nominate Bernie, and you do this too. Yeah. Because if you're saying his voters are uniquely the kind of people who are not going to vote for some other Dem... And that the voters of other candidates are not like that. Then if you want to beat Trump, you got to nominate Bernie. That's how you, ma- like, that's just how the, where the logic goes. Um, and this, of course, sets off an enormous fire star. I've, I've done this like three or four times and it always gets up into Donut Twitter and people just lose their mind and they're like, are you kidding me? Is this hostage shaking? People get so mad. Somebody was like, you know, you call yourself a Christian, but you're threatening me with baby concentration <laughs> camps. I'm like, I'm not threatening you. Right. I'm pointing out the way your argument works. Right, right. Well, but the, the joke in the immediate sense, like the way the troll works is you're making fun of electability because we use this sort of anodyne word, electability, electability, and no one has really like bothered to figure out what does that mean? It's like, well, what electability means is this is the candidate who's the, the kind of candidate who has a lot of supporters who would vote for him like in the general, but won't vote for some other candidate in the yeah. general. So he, if you define bad supporters as people who are not like blue no matter who, people who are if that's how you define bad supporters then the most electable candidate is the candidate who has the worst supporters you know speaking in this sort of moral logic and that just like fucks with people because online where we're all sort of half just kind of doing fanfic cosplay about politics like you you know part of where you get your self-worth in this sort of cosplay game is is not just i like this candidate i want them to do the best but supporters of whom i am in the community of the community of people who support this candidate we are the most moral righteous greatest people right it's tribal yeah and that's part of it and so like you wind up in this funny contradiction where people want to simultaneously say that a candidate is very unelectable and also has an enormous number of supporters who will not support any other candidate which cannot be true but the meta connection back to the women and people of color one is this tension between people wanting sort of groups of people to be good supporters yeah and then having these other descriptions of them as being bad yeah people right and so on the women of people women and people of color that group is the good group 
right? That's how they're classified. Yeah. And so, but then we have this other group of people, which is people who vote for Trump. Right. That's the that's bad. But wait a minute. Most of the bad group is good. Most of the bad group is women of people of color, which is good. So how can you have a bad group that's right. mostly comprised of good people? And that this is where like yeah. the brain just starts yeah, shattering and it starts in, shaking. It calls into question a very simple and naive moral framework. What? But they don't get to that level. Yeah. They're just like, oh my God, oh my God, the circuits are, are you know, whatever the hell circuits do. Uh, you know, like <laughs> everything's starting to cook. Um, and, then, and then the Bernie thing works very, the exact same way. Right. Right. It's like, uh, you know, bad people are people who are, you know, blue no matter who or whatever. And then, well, well, wait a minute. A good candidate is a candidate who has good supporters. Yeah. And so I want to support, you know, a good candidate. But a good candidate is also an electable candidate. And so, oh, no, good candidate is both defined as electable and as having not having bad supporters defined in this way but no the electable is the one who has the bad supporters you know runs them into a difficulty where these tend to be the people who say the most important thing is beating trump let's not squabble right that's amongst ourselves the most important thing is beating trump also i hate bernie's supporters because they're not going to turn out for harris yes and you're like all right well then then if the most important thing is beating trump you got to support sanders but they're no different than bernie people Oh, right, they're not. Yeah, no. Yeah, well, so. and that's the other thing is that the factual predicate is also just not true. Like Bernie, people who voted for Bernie in the primary, they, you know, um, the vast majority of them also went out and voted for Hillary. So like you could go a number of ways with it. But the best way in my mind is not to be like, that's not actually true or whatever, but instead to just take advantage of this tension that they have yeah. where a good candidate is, is an electable candidate and a good candidate is also someone who has good supporters to find as people who are blue no matter who, but those two things are just, just fuck with that. And then have the sort of brain sizzle and, you know, like that's, that's what you got to do. I feel like, and that's how those two trolls are connected. So, so number two, Bernie has a lot of old, extremely unwoke takes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you know about this. I I do. And so, uh, in 1972, uh, which is the height of, uh, you know, the, the second wave feminism, uh, and a lot of other, you know, residual social changes that had kind of issued from the late 60s. Bernie wrote for an alt-weekly uh, called the Vermont Freeman, uh, an essay that's about gender relations. And the famous passage that came up last time is this. A man goes home and masturbates his, to his typical fantasy a woman on her knees, a woman tied up, a woman abused. A woman enjoys intercourse with her man as she fantasizes about being raped by three men simultaneously. Uh, and that's just the first two paragraphs. That's a hot lead. Uh, I mean, if I were editing this, I'd be like, damn, that's quite a hook. Uh, but the rest of it uh, is a commentary on why that's bad. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, you know, Bernie has a lot of old, extremely woke shit. Uh, Bernie is not uh, posing this as normative. He's not saying this is good. Uh, you know, this is how sex ought to be or women love rape. He's saying that because of the extraordinary power imbalance in gender relations at the time, sex itself is warped. Yes, by, it's a Dworkin. It's a Dworkin type yeah. argument, which which uh, without maybe going all the way um, that she goes uh, on it, um, but is to say that you know society is so screwed up in terms of its gender relations that you create that spreads into all sorts of mental states right he's saying Um, that that you know the relation between the sexes is so distorted so egalitarian right by a power imbalance that it even appears in sex itself Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's not saying this is inherent he's saying it's inculcated into people it's funny because culture i actually kind of think that that the woke the the woke position might have slightly turned on this because now that's sort of to 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 theorize why someone yeah, might have a like yeah yeah might have a you know yeah kink about being right why do, why do particular kinks appear you're like, not oh, allowed to theorize yeah, about yeah that. you're not allowed to theorize why any kind of sexual preference or whatever how it might be rooted in some kind of oppressive structure in society i th- i feel like the bleeding edge move is 
that is a sort of uh, uh, that is a like a theory free zone, and it just it is what it is, and you uh, to 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 try to even theorize it or critique it or say that's coming out of misogyny or whatever is kink shaming. It's sex fu- negativity. It's funny and so to on. me because yeah, yeah, the, the kink stuff is all a theory free zone. On the other hand. Uh, the other place that I see a theory-free zone applied is games. Like gamers are like, I want this to be politics-free. I want it to be theory-free. That's true. That's the argument of like the gamer gators. And of course, the correct response to them is like, nothing is politics-free. Nothing is theory-free. You the relentless theorize criticism everything. of everything. Right. You 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 know you you're free to and and welcome to theorize everything and try to understand how politics and culture map onto everything but everybody has their thing they don't want interrogated because you know it reflects something nasty well and and you you could also just cut you wouldn't have to be like uh like to try to draw a box around you could also be like your theorizing is wrong yeah yeah. Like, you can always argue the, back you that's can, not you know. the where it's rooted you know yeah. that you could try to do that um but right, so, I have idiosyncratic theories about the about the bondage stuff okay, and where well, where it comes maybe from. For another episode. <laughs> so I, I think I, it's I think people fetishize rules. I, I think, think they he like was, contracts. I think he was. That was a super woke Dworkin esque take, actually pushing a sort of feminist analysis in, 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 in like you know into the sexual realm like in a very <laughs> explicit way. Yeah. Um, but now paradoxically, post nineteen eighties. It's probably no longer woke, but yeah. it's no longer woke for a reason that's different than like critiques, which the critiques right. of it are making it seem like he he actually believes that this is like a bio truth that you right know, right that, he, well, that he's casting aspersions on women saying you know bitches love that no 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 not no, at no, all no, it's no. the complete opposite of yes. that and he's 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 blaming uh, the in, inegalitarian relation between the sexes mm-hmm. for this um, so. I mean, I, there's a lot of other old Bernie stuff that's just incredibly woke. I mean, like, it, it, it's woke for now, uh, you know. And It's I, interesting I, because... I, old Bernie was, uh, you know, Bernie of the 60s and 70s was was pretty radical. Well, he, he's doing cultural criticism, which is interesting because I, I feel like his persona as it exists now and as it evolved was uh, to, to maybe shift... Yeah, out of that, significantly like, away from that. Yeah, let's focus on on material things. But and, he was an activist um, at the time, so yeah, you uh, know. So number three, uh, and this has become prominent as Bernie and Warren have, uh, you know, become more competitive. Bernie has dreams, not plans. Mm-hmm. Bernie doesn't have plans. Well, as we started the episode off with, green TV, gay. Oh, clap, 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 clap. There you go. So. Uh, and, and, and Bernie's campaign has just gotten a lot of press for, for big plans, uh, climate plans, Labor. overhaul of criminal justice, uh, progressive education platform. Education, labor, obviously healthcare, where his plan is the same as Warren's. Uh, right. Well, when people say that he doesn't have a plan, uh, you know, or he, he, he makes these promises and then stops talking... I'm like, I don't know, what do you need to see from him that you're not seeing? No, there's no like, uh, here's the level of specific detail. It, this is just, you know, this Warren's is... Warren's branding. Yes, this is this is what Warren yeah. has tried to get people to say. And she's been very successful at, at this as a strategy. And, it, and it's also a very clever strategy because it doesn't require her to necessarily go negative. But like, the implication of it is... You know, I'm a progressive, you know, it's, uh, it's I'm a progressive who gets things I'm done. A, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's the Hillary Clinton line. But yeah. like, that's, um, that's like basically what she's tried to push. And like the strategy for that was just to dump a bunch of policies way earlier than like people normally dump policies yeah. and then be like, you know, push out all sorts of swag and hashtags and so on and like get people on board with that. And that's sort of where they are but it's like well now bernie you know following a more normal natural time frame for releasing plans that are somewhat closer to dates when people are paying attention and so on his his plans are out but like nonetheless that talking point is there and so you know but you, that's you what look it's at the be. you look at the proposals and there's identical levels of specificity 
Yeah, and I mean, so. some some might be more specific than others, depending on the proposal or whatever. But but also, yes, what level of specificity do you, do you want? I mean, they don't have bill text attached to them. Neither of them have bill text attached to them. There's a, there's all sorts of details that that would have to be ironed out. And in a presidential campaign, you you wouldn't do bill text anyways. You don't. You're not a legislator. You're saying this is what my agenda is going to be, and we're going to you know work it out. Like you wouldn't get to that level of specificity typically. Um, but but yeah, you know, I mean, it's just part of the messaging campaign, partially coming from Warren, but also partially carried over from 2016, where the strategy was to be like, like you said, he's a dreamer, not a planner that you know that was also sort of hillary clinton's message and right, people right. just sort of picked this up and i think it's funny partially because and i don't know if we talked about my podcast with ezra klein but i was on the ezra klein show about mm-hmm. talking about medicare for all and it you know it was good it was a good conversation but what i thought was interesting partially what i thought was interesting was even though he's more moderate than i am he accepts in the discussion that Medicare for all is a sort of technocratically, technically superior option to most, well, all the centrist plans on offer, and then goes in to talk about the politics of it. And it's just a weird thing where, for various messaging reasons, moderates have not just taken up the mantle like they usually do, which is, whoa, hold on, that's not where the public is. We need to be politically careful, you know? The public is not going to accept something that far left. That's usually where they have been. But in the last, I don't know, eight years or whatever, they've also sort of been like, that's technically crazy. That would never work. That's insane. That's like an an insane man's scribblings on paper. Um, Like they've also kind of taken that tact, which is not the case. Um, So... You know, Bernie has plenty of plans. I mean, dozens and dozens of them, lots of bills that he's introduced over the years. You know, I mean, uh, well, one of the other funny things that, you know, that I'm now reminded of is, you know, the parodies of Bernie are all about how, like, you know, statistically driven he is. Yeah, yeah, you know, 1% of 1%, 1%. Yeah, like all these numbers and so on. And it's like, so like you simultaneously get like, this is a crazy this is a man who just sort of rattles off numbers and like isn't that silly and like he's like and then also like he's some sort of you know vague new agey uh yeah marianne williamson uh, type so and then and the one of the other the next big myth uh, myth about bernie uh is that he doesn't have any legislative accomplishments right so uh you know kind of a do nothing uh, complainer, gadfly type who doesn't get anything done. Uh, but he's gotten a lot done. I mean, he hasn't gotten Medicare for all uh, through uh, Congress. Uh, but, you know, you can say the same for a lot of legislation that's been proposed by any of the other candidates. Uh, but if you look at his uh, record in Congress, here's, you know, quoting for the New York Times, over one 12-year stretch in the House, Mr. Sanders passed more amend- amendments by roll call vote than any other member of Congress. In the Senate, he secured money for dairy farmers, community health centers, blocked banks from hiring foreign workers, and reined in the Federal Reserve, all through measures attached to larger bills. Uh, so, you know, one of the points the New York Times is making is, oh, Bernie doesn't kind of, you know, crusade. He uses these kind of side doors uh, to get things amended. And, and so piece by piece, sort of block by block, He's gotten chunks of his agenda through Congress over the years. And I'm saying, what else do you want? Right? I mean, no one's going to, you know, single-handedly, unilaterally ram through whatever legislation they want. I mean, that's not possible for a single senator. Chuck Schumer also hasn't had uh, a lot of uh, huge victories also, uh, to speak cares? of. I mean, y- you could be, uh, you know, sometimes there are these tallies that are like, the most productive member of Congress, which yeah. is like measured by like how many bills you introduced that were passed or whatever. And like you could be the one that like tries to aim for that statistic by just like introducing the kind of like anodyne bullshit. Yeah, the stuff. like shit that right. just has to pass and like, you know, so it's just sort of like the going through the motions of the yeah. of the of the the process, you know. Oh yeah, there has to be this tweak to this rule because this or that. Oh, and like no one these sort sure. of non controversial stuff, but Obviously, someone has to do that and like good for them, like thumbs up. But 
that's not i'm not you know that's not what i'm interested right, in I'm not interested is the in one it. that just sort of put out the generic bills that needed to get done I, 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 i'm interested in someone who's trying to push the envelope and actually make an, an effect on things um but like you noted he was a you know they they call him the amendment king or whatever right, very you know? effective um, in, in so. getting his stuff done in a in an environment that's very hostile to his brand of politics mm. uh and number five a fun one we're tacking on to the end here bernie's uh, hella rich now oh yes he, you um, know, he's got all the houses he's got the he's a millionaire <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, Bernie has a decent chunk of money, certainly uh, for uh, the country as a whole. There was a lot of hay made, and I think we talked about this on the podcast, about he's now a millionaire right, because he, he made, made a million, million bucks on the book. Which is like not not how that works. Like millionaire is not someone who has $1 million of gross pre-tax income in one year. A millionaire is someone who has a net worth of a million dollars. After tax, he wouldn't have even netted a million bucks that year. Um, but also, he already had more than a million dollars of wealth, as yeah. far as we could tell from disclosures. So, what are and, we even and talking I believe about? But Bernie still be, it remains fairly poor for a senator. Yes, yes. Well, this is the weird thing. I mean, he's been in Congress since the 90s, I believe. And so, yeah. you know, he's been making, you know, $170,000, you know, whatever, you know, adjusted for whatever um, for 20, 30 years. And I mean, and, and his wife, you know, it works and makes money. And so if you're making one hundred and seventy grand a year for, you know, 25, 30 years, like, you know, you're gonna accumulate wealth. Like that's a that's a good income. <laughs> yeah, but you, you have to think um, of him in in comparison to other candidates and other members well, of Congress. Yeah, well, and, no, and just, he's not uh, uh, abnormally. Yeah, and I, I did quite some stats. I I actually was not looking to debunk this or whatever, but uh, Mr. Jordan Weissman at uh, Slate Magazine contacted me, and he wanted to like situate. Bernie he has a piece now that's like Bernie Sanders is not that rich for someone his age. That's the title of the piece. And he wrote that back in May. And yeah. he contacted me. He was like, look, I know you know how to do the wealth data. Like, can you show where Bernie is like on the wealth distribution curve, like for, you know, a comparable person. So I took everyone over the age of 65 who has a college degree. Yeah. Which is a narrow, you know, a little bit of filtering. He is an older person, older people, tend to be wealthier than younger people they've had more time to save and he's a college degree person and so on and if you do that he's at the 75th percentile of net worth right so he's barely in the top fourth actually i think he would be just beneath the top fourth Mm -hmm. of people his age with a college degree in terms of wealth so you know like that's good but it's not like spectacular it's not you know one percent category or even you know top 10 percent or top 20 percent uh it's you know it's good like you know don't feel sorry for the man or anything like that but it's it's not that interesting for someone to have two million dollars who's been making one hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year for 25 30 years um that's that's not that interesting so so that's our five myths on Bernie. Uh, and, and there may be a Liz Solo app uh, coming up uh, because uh, St. Augustine's feast day is this week in this month of August. Yes, Liz Solo app. The people really want it. And so I'm excited. If you do do the St. Augustine one, please address my question about the grass. No, it's totally unrelated. I know, but that's unrelated. the people they want to. I don't know about that. Uh, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Brunigs. See you later. Talk soon.